Happy Sabbath. Can you hear me? Awesome. All right. Let us pray. God, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a, uh, there's a story about Ben Franklin. And in the story, uh, Ben Franklin, they're, they're, they're about to develop, figure out what kind of government they're going to develop for America. And the, the, this lady standing outside Independence Hall, and it's kept in secrecy. You know, they, they need to know if they're going to develop a monarchy or a republic, a representative form of government. And interestingly enough, when Ben Franklin walks out, this lady says, well, doctor, do we have a monarchy or republic? And Ben Franklin says, you have a republic if you can keep it. The Bible in the book of Ephesians, I will be in Ephesians today, the Bible says, seeking to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So you have unity if you can keep it. The book of Ephesians, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to walk right through the book of Ephesians. You should read it in depth. It's probably Paul's highest theological uh, writing as it relates to the magnitude of Jesus as he sees it. I mean, he, he describes Jesus, in, I mean, we, I, I can't remember the last time I really heard a sermon that just described the magnificence of the resurrected Lord in relationship to the believer. So let me take five minutes to just kind of do that for us, okay? In the beginning, there is God, God, and God, and they're all in relationship with themselves. And then sin enters into the world, and they decide, okay, God, you're going to come down here, and now everything is all different. You're going to become one with the fallen creation so that when I look at you, I see Jason. So that when, when, when you come back up here, Jason and everybody else in the church can come back up here with you as saved. No longer will they be creatures of the creator. They will be sons and daughters of God. We don't, I mean, that, just that right there, we can say amen and close the door. Because animals are not sons and daughters. of As a matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 8, it says, What are man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you take note of him? You've made him a little bit lower than the angels. That word there for angels is never used again as angels. It's Elohim. It actually means God. So the original of creation means that the, the, the original order of the universe was God, humans, and everybody else. Sin put us down here. Are you with me? And so all of a sudden, God decides that the big, the big three of them, the big three of him say, okay, one-third of you is going to be permanently human. So imagine this. One-third of God is permanently part of my family so that when you look up and you pray, God is not talking to his creature. He's talking to his daughter. It's phenomenal relationship. No being in the universe can claim it wasn't, it's not even, watch this, it's not even part, it's not even in the beginning. We were just the image of in creation. Now we're the family. Totally foreign. The Bible says that Jesus is seated above every principality and power. That's huge. Anything that you think is powerful, Jesus is up here at the right hand of God, seated as a human, as your family, Next to God, who is now your father, and all power and authority has been given to him. This is still Ephesians 1. You have unity if you can keep it. And Ephesians 1 says that he's the head of a body. Now, this, this is not the head of the army. This is not the CEO of a company. This is, not, this is the head, head of a body. 
And the Bible says we, the church, are his body. And the Bible says in chapter 2, I believe it's verse 6, that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. So get this, in Christ, when you pray, God does not look down saying, yes, my creature, I hear your prayer, that's fine. He looks over here to look at Jesus and sees you and says, yes, ma'am, I'll answer your prayer. So you could, just make, you could write a book on that and close down. Jesus says, greater things than me will you do. That's what he says. All authority has been given to me, so you get going. Why? Because I'm the head of a body. And think about this. Consider this. Jesus' location currently as a physical entity is in heaven. True or false? Okay. So if he's going to touch anybody tangibly, who has to do it? Come on, talk back to me. We. Who said we? That's, who, why? Because we're the hand. There's a song out there if we are the body, right? Isn't that right? So here now, sir, now you're the hand. So you are now the hand of God as you ride your motorcycle. When you touch people, there should be a healing going on because you're connected to Jesus. Because he's thinking healing, but I need some tangible entity to go touch somebody. Are you feeling me? So so the first wall, see the point of Ephesians is the tearing down of walls because of the restoration and supremacy that we have in Jesus Christ. So the first wall to be torn down is the wall that separates humanity and God. Right? It's the first wall. We are seated in heavenly places in Jesus, and that's wonderful. I'm really going to try and not be excited today, but I can't help it sometimes. I just, I can't. So I'm going to try. I'm not trying to scream at you. Please forgive me. I just get excited. So the next wall that's torn down. Now, this is just the beginning. This is just chapter 2. The next wall, still in chapter 2. The next wall is in chapter 2. Let me get to my Bible here. Chapter 2, and it's in verse Starting at verse 11, wherefore remember that you being Gentiles in times past, Gentiles in the flesh who are uncircumcised, they're going through this whole conversation of uncircumcised, that literally means you're not a Jew, fine. You were without Christ, being aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. Skip down to verse 13. But now in Christ, you Gentiles, who were, and Gentiles is multi, a, a multiplicity of ethnic and cultural backgrounds. You Gentiles who were once separated are now in Christ made nigh by the blood of Jesus. For he is our peace who hath made both one, having broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now we need to pause. I'm not going to stand on this part too long, but we need to think about this for about five seconds. The second wall to get torn down in Ephesians based on the supremacy of Jesus alone is the ethnic cultural wall. I didn't make it up. It's right there in the text. You can argue with Paul. So watch this, if I got a problem, if I got a problem, man, with you, because me and you are not the same, ethnically, you can better believe I'm not in Jesus Christ. You better believe, if I got a problem with somebody who is not ethnically, or in America, we have this false thing of race, that is not racially like me, if I am operating from the, from the construct that society says divides me from thee, I am not part of the body. At all. Because it's supposed to come down on Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make a difference. Socially, socially, social, culturally, in the, in the days of Ephesians, the Gentiles were higher than the Jews. 
because they were Romans. You know, Gentiles were better than Romans. But in the religious culture of the Jews, the Jews were higher than Gentiles. It doesn't make a difference where you think you are in the paradigm that you're operating from. If the, if the social structure, if the structure that separates you is allowed to separate you within the body, you are not in the body. That should not exist in the body. Yes or no? All right, I'm, look, I'm, listen, y'all going to talk to me today. Paul spends the next bit of this chapter and all of chapter 3 trying to get into the heads of these people that the ethnic tensions, this isn't the only thing he talks about, but he spends two chapters. Read it, all of chapter 2 and chapter 3. He spends talking about the fact that in Christ, ethnic differences have no place. He even calls the inclusion of the Gentiles the mystery of God. It's a mystery. How does God equate and incorporate and, and bring into wholeness and oneness people who historically and socially are not only different but are at, at odds? Paul says it's because of the supremacy of Jesus. When you have peace with God, you should have peace with your fellow man. Jesus says, how can you say my father and say you love God when you don't love your brother? That's, that, that's not me, that's Jesus. Because of the supremacy of Jesus, we come and we sing these beautiful songs that the praise team just sang, and we worship in all this great hoopla. And statistically, still in this nation, Sunday is the most segregated hour. I'll leave our church for the end. Hmm? And everybody wants to call themselves a Christian. Spends two, two whole chapters in one book trying to break down and get these people. It's the big issue of the day. It is the seminal issue. If you remember in the book of Acts, there was a big issue because the Greek widows weren't getting taken care of by the Jews, but the Jewish widows were getting taken care of. They didn't get it right. They say, okay, we can't do this, gentlemen. We got to make sure we're being balanced here. Stephen, you go over here and, and some other guys and take care of these people and we'll be fine. But we, got, we can't just take care of one group to the exclusion of another. Y'all know Paul was dealing with Judaizers. You must be Jewish to be saved. No, you, no, 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 no. Jesus' brother James refutes that in, in Acts chapter 15. That's not true. They don't need to be circumcised or anything overtly Jewish. Just don't be immoral and don't eat foods that are unclean. Don't be unhealthy. Other than that, you can do what you do. It's not me. That's the Bible. He spends two chapters trying to explain this to people in the language of the supremacy of Jesus, and then he ends the chapter in chapter 3 this way. He gives, us, he gives us his prayer, and then he makes a declaration of what it is that God is going to do. And then the rest of the book is him spelling out how God is going to do what he just prayed for. He says this. I'm going to read this prayer because I want you to hear it. I'm, I'm not going to go past my time today. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may be rooted, Christ may, be, may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, will be able to comprehend with all the saints, Jews and Gentiles, 
what is the height, breadth, depth, and width, and to know the love of Christ with passes, with pa- which passes knowledge. That you, collectively, you now multicultural entity called the body, you in, in, the, in modern parlance, you multiracial entity called the body, that you will be able to know the love of Christ with passes knowledge so that you as a collective can be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer then, and it still applies today. So then he ends it, then he ends this with a declaration of what God, he says this, he says this. Now, and y'all know that this benediction, he did so beautiful, he did, everybody likes to quote it. Now unto him who is able to do, in context, exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. Now they had already thought, man, he's, he's merging different ethnic groups. This is crazy. They hadn't even thought that. They hadn't thought it at all. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you're willing to ask or you can possibly imagine in relationship to tearing down walls. To him be glory in the church. Now what, so what's on this? Glory because God is going to break down more walls than you can imagine to include the ones that we just described. God will get glory in the church when these walls fall down. That's, I'm, just, listen, I'm just reading from the Bible. The Bible says that God gets glory in the church when these walls fall down. Through Christ Jesus, forever and ever, amen. So then he goes on and he opens up the next chapter. And he says this, I therefore, because of everything I just said, that's what therefore it means, because of everything that I just said, I therefore beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation where you are called. That's not saying stay in your social class or position. It's saying the vocation that you are called in as being part of the body. With all lowliness, meekness, with suffering and forbearance of one another in love. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? When you start merging people that are not necessarily used to being around each other, there are some assumptions that come. There are some presuppositions. There are some cultural baggage that comes when people that are not necessarily used to being in each other's presence suddenly start coming. You need some patience and some drop your pride some. Mm, come on, just take all, take this, just drop the bag, drop it. Drop the pride. Try and hear what they're trying to say. Stop being offended by what they actually said. Learn to be forgiving because what they're trying, they have a whole history of back. See, let me, let, me, let me make this very real in America. Now, it is very, very evident. So let me say it this way. Let me do it this way. Let me do it this way. According to Carl Linnaeus, who developed the rules of racism, the rules of racism, I'm not going to go through them all, but the rules of racism say that black people, based on their skin color, are inherently ignorant, immoral, um, uh, brutish, overly sexualized and sneaky. That's the rule. The rules for white people say that white people are, are inventive, innocent, you know, uh, smart, and you know, governed by law, so they're not sneaky, right? Okay, now those are the rules, right? Those are the rules. Now imagine, now, so, so, so clearly, we could clearly see how this would have a, an, an impingement on the psychology of, of a person of color. 
I'm not a sneaky person. I'm not immoral. I'm not brutish, right? Imagine this, though. You're from West Virginia. Your family used to be a coal miner, right? You're not rolling in the dough. But the rules over here for you say that everything that you do must be done correctly. You must always win. You must always be right. Imagine the pressure that puts on these people that you don't even know exists. It's like, man, I, I can't be wrong. That's not the rules. You don't even know the rules exist, but that's the rule. So now that you, t- you bring these two people together in a conversation that don't even know the rules, but you see it played out every day in the news. Every day it's played out in the news. The gentleman, the gentleman that shot the cops, the horrible gentleman that shot the cops in, in California, in, in Texas, horrible. Absolutely deplorable. Absolutely. He gets blown up. And everyone that's protesting is labeled along with him. Right? But the kid that walks into the church in Charleston is not blown up, is given a vest and a cheeseburger, and the, and, and the TV calls him an outlier. Because you can't group them all together over here. You see how, how challenging the conversation would be if you try and bring these two groups together? If you don't have humility and the, and the willingness to at least hear the side of the story? I'm not saying I even agree with the story. I'm saying this is the situation that sin has separated us with. And this is the, these are the rules that the nation is run by unofficially. And if we're going to be Christian, we've got to come to the table with some humility, some honesty, some transparency, and some willingness to be forgiving about a circumstance somebody else may not even know they have. So unity takes sacrifice. It takes humility. It takes being willing to say, this is my experience, and your experience is equally as valid, and it's a horrible one. How do we come together? And so in chapter 4, Paul says, Paul goes on to give, say that God's going to give us spiritual gifts. And the purpose of the spiritual gifts, he tells you, is for the maturation of the body. The title of this series is that we may all, here we grow again. That we can grow, because God's going to do exceedingly more than he did in the first two chapters. He's going to do more. So here's some spiritual gifts. Here's some gifts. So, so watch this, watch this. Prophecy, since we love prophecy so much, is for the more of the breaking down of barriers. Hmm? It's not for the erecting of, listen, I know the prophecy and you don't know the prophecy. I'm the spiritually elite and you are the spiritually dunced. Go sit in the corner. That's not what it's for. It's for the, the, the building up of the body as a collective. The apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the preacher. It's for the building up of the body as a collective so that we can all come to the maturity of the standard of the Son of God. That's the point. And then he goes on for the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 to, des- to describe what Galatians would call the fruit of the Spirit. Go read it. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you some gifts, and I'm going to birth some fruits. Why? Because I have some other walls that I want to tear down. And what are they? Chapter 5. It starts in chapter, verse 21. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The very next verse says, wives, submit to your husbands. Underneath the heading of mutual submission, he explains, wives, submit to your husbands. Why would he do that in the context? He doesn't say, wives, be subservient. He says, submit. And he turns around a few verses later and say, husbands, love. 
in the mutual, underneath the mutual banner of submitting to each other in the fear of God. What is Paul doing? Instead of Paul saying, listen, we need to get out of this patriarchy, male dominant scenario that is not really working and it's not biblical in this context over here. He doesn't do that. He says, husbands and wives, this is how you treat each other. And if I get enough people treating each other correctly, male and female, the paradigm will shift. That's what he says. And he uses this head body analogy again. Why? Because in the Roman culture, a woman who did not have a husband and was not married, and I mean, it was out of the house of her father, was said to have lost her head. Because the Greeks considered, the Greek, these are the, again, these were rules for Greece. The Greeks and Romans considered that women were everything that is fleshly, carnal, um, it sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Fleshly, carnal, evil, material, sinful. And men was everything logical, holy, spiritual, noble, intelligent. So if you don't have a man over you, ladies, you have no brain. That's the culture. And instead of trying to overturn the culture, he says, he's saying, men, don't lord it. Love them like you love your own body. Now watch this. Watch this body analogy. Watch this. You got to understand. If I, my wife, put your hand up, love, please. Put your hand up. Okay, my wife is right there. I love her to death. There are no, so, so I have three senses right now that I'm using with you all that allow me to be here and I don't have to be over there. I have the sense of sight, the sense of smell, and the sense of hearing. I can communicate with you so the, so, the, so the ability to talk. I can stay over here and not interact with you at all, right? But if I want to eat, how does my head get to the food? The body. If I got an itch, how do I scratch my itch? The body. When me and my wife decided, you know what, and it was an accident, we didn't even, it wasn't even intention. We, and, and then my daughter came into picture. How do we do that, the body? There are just some things that cannot be done by a head. And Paul is trying to teach Greco-Roman men to realize, yes, you might be the cultural head, but there's so much in your life that is sustained by the body. You need to value it. Sometimes, you know, a hug just communicates so much more than your words. I love you. Well, that doesn't really say anything. That's over here. But if someone comes and gives you a hug in a Christian way, it's motivating. You're like, oh, man, they really care. Hmm? The body has its own thing that it can do. So Jesus is the head and the body is connected. Men, head of head and the body. We need the body. Show me anywhere in science right now where there's a head attached and living and functioning intelligently without a body. Show it to me. It does not exist. And I work in a hospital. I've seen bodies be maintained artificially. But sooner or later, it gets, it gets sick and dies. And there's a mutual integration, isn't it? I'm running out of time. Then he goes on. He says, children, obey your parents. Parents, don't make your kids mad. What is he doing? He's fixing this issue with parents and children, why? Because the greater issue is the generation war. Isn't it? How many of y'all have been to churches? And you go to church, and, and, and everybody that's a certain age and older, they do it this way. And you people, younger people, you are the spawn of Satan. And it, 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 it was so much better when I was younger. Y'all know, right? He's like, listen, if we deal with the family and mutuality and respect, the larger cultural issue will be handled. And again, in a, parent, in a parent relationship, who's the head? The parent. Who's the body? 
You can teach your kids everything you want at home, but they have to go out and act it and make you look good. Yes or no? Same thing. He moves on. Masters, slaves, obey your masters and, and, and do good to them like you would unto Jesus. And masters likewise. That's what it says. Masters, you do the same. And notice, he doesn't overturn the master-slave relationship, not because it's not an evil relationship, but because he knows challenging society like that will be non-productive. I'm going to change your personal relationship so that when people see that you treat your slave like your family, the paradigm will shift. Hmm? See, Ephesians is all about tearing down walls, and at some point in time, the church of God, I don't care what denomination, I'm not even on that right now, but the church of God must stop, and people must take an assessment of how sin has infected us and not given us preferences but biases. I prefer strawberries over cherries, but I don't have a problem with cherries. I don't think all cherries are evil. But when your preference four becomes a biased against when it comes to humanity there is a problem especially in the church i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna lie i'm born i'm a male on the planet which means i am inherently culturally trained to be a sexist i am i'm a recovering sexist shoot me And every chance I get, I support my female chap. Get up and say something. Go on, do it. I don't need to do it. Why? Because God has a, has a, there's a voice. There's a message that must come through that vessel. It doesn't always have to have testosterone. There's a word that has to come from another person. It doesn't always have to come from Jason or from the way I say it. Hmm? See, there's, there's a thing that God is trying to do, and he's trying to transform his people. He's trying to transform his people. The world is not going to get this right. The only time the world in the Bible and in history has ever come together on one accord at all, it has not been in the valuing of other humans. It has been in the destruction of other humans and then the absolute rebellion against God. It has never come together in valuing other people, ever. So if you think that the state will ever get this right or that you can wait for the state to legislate what the church should do based on conversion, you're out of line. I have no faith in any government whatsoever to do anything morally correct. None. And I'm a veteran. And I served and I served with the best. Literally the best. And I have absolute respect for them. And I have absolutely no faith in politics to do anything morally correct on any front. But the church, the church of God, it is not only promised, it is mandated. It is mandated that we be the difference. It is mandated that we be loving to those that are not like us. It is mandated that we have humility and that we care for the poor. It is mandated, mandated. What would happen? What would happen? What would happen if the church stopped trying to be politics? And just stayed in the lane of the church and just loved people. What would happen? Hmm? What would happen? How would the world be influenced? Not, listen, I'm talking about for Jesus. I'm not talking about for any nation. 
Daniel chapter 2 lets you know that God destroys all governments. All of them. Revelation does the same thing. So you can go Old or New Testament, God is going to wipe out every single government and set up his own kingdom personally. So if I'm trying to build up an earthly kingdom to the negation of my Christian duty, what, what am I, am I in the body? No. The book closes, I'm, I'm wrapping up, the book closes with the armor of God. And you know, everybody, I know some people, they love, they get up in the morning, they pray, put on the armor of God. And it's just really beautiful. You can apply it multiple ways, but in context, in context, the armor of God is applied this way. If I am in a relationship with my wife and I am the head, then the only piece of the armor really that is mine is, 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 is the helmet. I don't have a shield of faith outside of a loving relationship with my wife. I don't have a sword of the spirit unless my hand carries it. Why is it this way? So that I know I must depend on her. I don't get to do this without her. If, I, if I'm in a social relationship and I'm the master, I have to know that even though society says these people are slaves, the helmet only belongs to me. The slaves get everything else. If I'm, if I'm rich and there's the poor, I have to know that I might be the upper crust and upper class and I have the helmet of salvation, but the poor have everything else. Hmm? Why? Because God is, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and heavenly places. And those are the things that Jesus has placed us above. Hmm? So we put on, we put on, you don't fight this battle by yourself. You fight it as an army. Hmm? Together, as an entity, as one dynamic, God-glorifying entity with divine power pulsating through it. And it stands to, as a destructive tool and as a witness against evil on the planet. And those whose hearts will be changed will be changed and they will join your ranks. When we let the Spirit of God in the church, tear down the walls. I wasn't going to say something about our church, but I'm going to leave that alone. That's too obvious. It's too obvious. But there are some things that there, there, there's, 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 and it's not, I'm not getting at you. I'm not saying anybody's a bad person. Not at all. But what I, this is what I will say. There are numerous amounts of us in here that are more, let me say this correctly. No, because you got to say it right. You know, you got to say it right because, you know, you, people will get offended. And they misinterpret what you, the goal. God, Christianity, ethnicity, and nationality are not synonymous. Just because I'm American does not automatically make me Christian. God is not sitting in the White House. His divine presence is not there and never has been. God does not have a hegemony on one ethnic group in the nation or one gender. Hmm? God is God. And Christ is Christ and we are the body. And if I am Christian, there will come a time when my Christianity will be tested. We don't, we don't like to say that. But I'll be tested and I won't have the long arm of government to support my religious freedoms. 
A classic case of this is the Hutus and Tutsis in Rwanda. There's a classic story. Samuel Crankton Pippin put it in his book. I'm closing. The Hutus were being persecuted. No, the Tutsis were being persecuted by the Hutus. And a, and a, group, of, a group of Hutus walk into the church, this Adventist church, and they say, hey, you guys are in required practice, separate into your tribes. I can tell. What's your last name? What's your last name? Last names and everything make you know who you are. And the, and the church was together. We're a church. And so they separate into tribes. Now, you Hutus, kill the Tutsi uh, church members. This, I'm talking about when the walls don't matter anymore because you have Jesus. The Hutu church member said, there are no Hutus or Tutsis here. There are only Christians. There are no black or white. There's only Christians. There is no rich or poor. There's only Christians. Hmm? They gunned them all down. A few of them managed to escape, went out and started a new mixed choir. And they said, you know what? We're, we're singing and we're getting it together. We have a choir reunion to go to. When Jesus comes, we're going to be reunited with our old choir members. So their sacrifice is not a name because we're getting more people not like us on the ship. Is Jesus worth that? Or are we still going to say Jesus plus my gender? Jesus plus my ethnicity? Jesus plus my nation? Let us pray. Father God in heaven. I'm here with my church family, God, and I love them dearly. And God, you, 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 it's so, it's so, it's so providential that, that, that Pastor Jeff was, was talking about Ephesians this morning and I didn't even know what he was talking about. But God, there is a problem. Our nation has an issue that has yet to actually be dealt with and the church has bought into the problem. And God, we, 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 want, we want to be cleansed. We're not, we're, we want to be free. We want to be willing to be lowly and meek and forgiving and humble. God, it's not part of the rubric and the DNA that has been handed to us, that we've been taught in school. It's not part of our individual cultural conversations. But in the church, God, you have called us to be one. You've called us to be mutual, to be integrated, to be equally empowering and appreciative of the differences, God. And Father, there are some things, God, that, that we need you to reveal to us because this is not an easy or fun road to, to walk. And it's not an easy or fun conversation to have. But God, your glory is on the line. And so God, I present to you, us. We love you. We want to love you more. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.